Hello, hello. This is Wednesday 13, and you are watching today's Boondoggle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our today's Boondoggle radio show. Uh, as you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to, uh, our anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our BitChute channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors. If you uh, support our sponsor, Dream Nutrition, you can receive 10% off your order by using the promo code BOONDOG10 at checkout. So Dream Nutrition, they're a veteran-owned and operated company as well, so please support them and receive 10% off using the promo code BOONDOG10. Thanks for your time, and thanks for listening. going on everybody it's bill bailey with today's boondoggle and real quick housekeeping note if you're watching us on youtube or uh um rumble or bit shoot please hit that follow and subscribe button and if you're uh you know uh listening to us on spotify apple podcast google please hit that follow and subscribe button so we can continue to bring you interviews like the one that I am super stoked to be bringing to you today, Mr. Ricky Ratman. How you doing, Ricky? I'm doing really good, really good. Crazy week. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, to next week when uh, when you hit the road, man. Um, but before we get into that, usually when I have somebody on for the first time, I want to get a quick background. So do you remember originally what you wanted to be when you grew up? 
yeah, I wanted to be a DJ. <laughs> I mean, I think I did. I found um, when we were, when you were a kid and I'm thinking probably six years old, there was a drawing and it's, and the drawing said, I am like a DJ because I know the names of a lot of songs. And there was a picture that I drew of a 45 and the 45 was Little Willie by Sweet. And I remember being a kid and been making tapes, like pretending like I was a DJ. So, you know, I really haven't thought about that for a long time. But yeah, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a DJ, which is pretty interesting that that's what I wanted to be as a kid, you know. That's- that's awesome. I had like a similar thing, like, you know, got my, got a hold of my first tape recorder and I would just record music off the radio, but then yeah, also like yeah, make yeah. my own skits and shows and, and stuff like that as a kid. And, you know, then every, and then, you know, sometimes people step on your dreams and be like, ah, come on, you're not going to make a living doing that. Luckily you followed through and didn't let anybody stop you. I was told so, I mean, I'll never forget when my father told me, which I always thought was kind of weird, he said, like, you know, the cat house, it's like masturbation. It feels good, but it doesn't do anything or something like that. And which is weird to tell me. But, um, you know, now, however many years later, I have two offices that do nothing but sell cat house apparel. And we have cat house coffee. And, you know, that's one of one of the things that I think I'm most remembered for. So it's it's kind of interesting that that cat house was something that ended up being okay. Even though I was told like, you know, it, it's not going to amount to anything, but it did. And then you grew up in the Hollywood area, correct? Yes, I did. I lived in uh, Van Nuys, California for a little bit. And then I lived in Hollywood. And then, you know, now I live in North Carolina and the last place that I lived before I moved here was in the Hollywood Hills. So, I mean, if you, if you went to the sunset strip, I would say within five miles either way is where I lived almost my entire life. You know, that's where I'm from. I'm still, and even though I haven't lived in Hollywood for a long time, I still say I'm from Hollywood. Yeah. And I mean, just growing up there in that environment where it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to, to make it, but you know, you uh, had this vision as a kid and you were able to kind of persevere. And what do you think kind of gave you the edge and helped you, uh, you know, achieve some of these goals? I think I've always been really hungry and I always have, you know, I've always wanted nice things. I always had visions of nice cars. I always had visions of nice houses. I had visions of everything. And I was never content with mediocrity, even though many times I fell way below mediocrity. But I think I've always been very, very driven to the point of you know, not even sometimes appreciating what I had when I had it, because I've always wanted to work harder and harder and harder. And I've always been a hustler and, and still am to this day. Nice. And do you remember like, you know, going back, you mentioned that, that sweet uh, album, but do you remember like uh, when you first discovered music, how old you were and like what about it kind of grabbed you and pulled you in? Um, I remember almost all the aspects of my life in music in my show a matter of fact i have i can even show you i have part of the props on my show right here and i can even show you some of the albums that were in my show i think i can i have them somewhere oh well, i can't find it right now oh yeah like for instance an album that was the game changer for me was this one because i remember right. when 
then when I first heard this album, Deep Purple Machine Head, that was like my introduction to heavy metal. And I heard that and I was like, okay, this is something that's, that's, this, this is something that's quite different from, <laughs> from this. <laughs> I, I went from this to this and, uh, and I blame that. And uh, so I remember every aspect. And, and you, you know, one of the cool things is some of the music I liked as a child, which I think is, is, is the case with metal and hard rock bands. Some of the bands that we really liked as a child, we still like, you know, for me as a kid, it was all about Alice Cooper. And, uh, and I still love Alice Cooper and I still listen to Alice Cooper all the time. And, and uh, there's a lot of bands that we listened to when we were younger that we're still listening to. And I don't listen to Alice Cooper for nostalgia. Sometimes I do, but I listen to Alice Cooper because he's got so many great songs. Yeah. I remember, you know, you showed that Partridge family and then the uh, Deep Purple album cover. And it just kind of brought back like my early days, too. I remember and I've shared this story before on here, but like I remember at Christmas, I had an older sister and she was big into Rod Stewart and Leaf Garrett and stuff like that. Right. And she was opening up the albums and, and getting those. And I'm sitting across from her and I was still a little too, too young to get my own record collection or whatever. But for some reason, somebody bought my sister Kiss Alive. And she opened that up and she was like, ew, what is this? And I'm like across the room and I'm just like, oh, mesmerized. And that was like the gateway for me. Kiss Alive, Kiss Alive was a big album for, you know, in my show, there's a part where, and this is the set that I'm actually on right now. I'm getting ready to pack it up. And um, there's a part where I talk about show and tell at school. And we were asked to bring our favorite albums. And I remember, you know, that era because I remember that I brought Ted Nugent and I remember that John in front of me bought Kiss Alive and Molly brought Elton John Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And I remember seeing Kiss Alive and I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, because Kiss Alive, you know, when you're a kid, this and and you see that album cover and, and you see the 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 fire and you see all that stuff. It's like these are these are superheroes. These are superheroes oh, yeah. that play rock and roll. And uh, it's, it was just, it was just, it was incredible because when you were a kid, you know, Kiss fans that are still Kiss fans like Kiss because they like the music and they like the show and they like it's fun. But when you're a kid and you first see Kiss, they're superheroes and that's what it is. It's attracting you even more than the substance of the songs. It's just like, wow, these people are like, like that guy's really the demon and that guy's really a cat and that guy's this. And, and that's what it is that really attracts you to that music. Yeah, and when we were kids, like Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park was actually a good movie. <laughs> no, it never was a good movie. I don't care what. Even as a kid, it was a piece of crap. <laughs> but it's still, it's, uh, it's funny because it was filmed at Magic Mountain, which was, I think, it was filmed at Magic Mountain, which was the amusement park we went to as a kid. I think it was Magic Mountain. Yeah. Well, speaking of like people that, you know, music and people that influenced you along the way in, um, you know, your musical tastes, I have to say, I mean, the reason why I'm so stoked to be talking to you is because you played a huge role in educating me on a lot of metal bands that I might never have heard of growing up when you were hosting Headbangers Ball. Well, thank and you very much. You know, I, I get I hear it a lot that people say, like, you know, thank you very much. You turned me on to Pantera. That's one of the ones that people say the most. And and I, it's very flattering, even though I don't believe I, I get the credit because this was just something that MTV gave me and said, look, you are to give this to everybody else. 
But I think with Pantera, you know, people knew how much I loved the band. So when I talked about Pantera on on TV, I think it came through and people were like, okay, who is this Pantera band that Ricky talks about all the time? And I think a lot of fans back then in, in their early 90s found out about Pantera from Headbangers Ball. So, and I was the host, so I guess that I am partially responsible, which is, is very flattering. It's, I, I feel good to know that, that some people develop their musical tastes from stuff that we played on Headbangers Ball. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, Pantera was one of them. I think like Sepultura, um, just, you know, Saturday nights, man. You know, I would, I remember just, you know, staying up. Sometimes I'd have friends over for sleepovers or whatever. And we'd have Headbangers Ball, uh, you know, night. And so many just, uh, I mean, I know you're going to ha- have so many stories to share on on, on this, uh, this tour that you're getting ready to embark on. But um like, what are some of your favorite memories from hosting that show that you can share? I mean, obviously, you know, for me to say what was the best episode of Headbangers Ball, I believe everybody has the same favorite episode. I think there's one episode. That, which episode do you think I'm talking about? Let's see if you if you know. What was your favorite episode of Headbangers Ball? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I would say... There was one with you and Allison Chains at an amusement park. That's it. That's it. That's it. The Allison Chain. I mean, you know, and I mean, I hear it all the time, but now that I think back about it, I'm like, that's really cool. Like, cause that to me was really what, you know, so many times I was force fed questions to ask and asked about producers and asked about this, which I don't give a rat's ass about. But when we were at the water park, we were just goofing around and, you know, we didn't know that this place was deadly and uh i didn't know that until i saw the movie class action park but it, it's really cool that 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 allison chains you know i'm i got i found a master reel of that episode which i don't really think i have any of any episodes so i've got to find a way to transfer it and play some of the outtakes during my show because that was the one episode that most people say really stands out more than any other you know it's that and of course nirvana but the allison chains show was just a just such a great great show and it was such a really good time as well yeah and it it it, it introduced allison chains to me a guy here in cleveland who might not have had the opportunity to to know of them you know unless i was i saw him on 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 your show and then speaking of other bands that you got me hip to like guns and roses man one of my all-time time favorites i remember the best show that I ever attended in high school was Guns N' Roses and Skid Row opened up and they had Sebastian Bach, you know, still in Skid Row. It was at Richfield Coliseum out here in Cleveland. It was back when Ticketron was the, th- the thing. Right. My sister was able to score me like third row center, you know, greatest still to this day, my all time favorite, favorite show. And the, the second tattoo I ever got in the Navy was Guns N' Roses. All right. <laughs> so yeah, you got me hip to them, and I remember you had a good relationship with those guys as well. You're in a few of their videos. I mean, I've known Guns N' Roses before there was ever a record deal. I mean, you know, the, as as people found out, if they don't know that I talk about that a lot in my show as well, that, you know, if it wasn't for Guns N' Roses, I wouldn't be here talking to you today because, you know, they really went out of their way to help the Cat House by playing there so many times. And also Axel, you know, went out of his way to help me get my job at MTV. 
So I'm indebted to Guns N' Roses. It's amazing I don't have a Guns N' Roses tattoo yet because I'm definitely indebted to that band. And uh, that band helped me more, you know, really, really helped me out a lot. Nice. Yeah, I mean, huge fan. That uh, Their music has, you know, definitely uh, inspired me over the years. And like I said, uh, you know, seeing you in the November Rain video and, and uh, just, you know, watching you introduce them to, to me, it's like um, totally uh, appreciative. And then, you know, talking more about like, um, you know, some of the, the um, memories you have hosting Headbangers Ball, but you've mentioned Cat House a few times. I mean, I know there's so much stories that you're going to be sharing on, on this tour, but there's probably still some stories to this day you wouldn't even dare bring up. <laughs> yes. There are. And, uh, and there's a couple stories in my show that I will never say in an interview because uh, I don't want it on tape to haunt me. But there's some people that did some pretty screwed up stuff and I throw them under the bus because they deserve it. Ooh, God, I shouldn't have said that either. Um, I said some stuff that happened back then that wasn't very cool with this, uh, a certain rock star. And I'm very open about these things. And uh, we'll see how it goes. If, if, if we go past these five shows and the show comes to L.A., that will be interesting if I do this show in L.A. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of lot of stories, but a lot of just in, it was such an incredible time. And and everything was so alive and decadent. And it, it was it was incredible. And, you know, what I hope to do is I hope to be able to take people back to that time for just a little moment and, and tell everybody what it was like, you know, when every band everybody you know is starting a band and they're all getting record deals i'm like well i'd like to be in a band with a record deal you know but i went a different direction and uh, it was just it was a very incredible time now what was it that kind of inspired you to uh start the cat house i mean the the story is the most cliche story and but it's absolutely true the reason the cat house was opened was so Tammy and I could get free drinks and meet girls. It's as simple as that. We wanted a place that our friends could hang out because at that time, you know, Guns N' Roses hadn't even put out a record, neither in Faster Pussycat or Jane's Addiction or any of those bands that, that were Cat House bands at the time. And, um, you know, it was, you know, we were all out on the streets and we were going to these shows or that shows, but I wanted a clubhouse. I wanted a place that all the misfits could go. I wanted a place that we could go that we're not going to get kicked out of, that there is no velvet rope in front of picking the cool people. And, you know, me and Tammy thought this is going to be a great way that we can drink for free and meet girls. And that is why it's op- it opened at first. And I think because it opened under that premise, as opposed to opening up thinking we're going to get rich on it. I think because of the somewhat innocent reason it opened is why it was so much fun because it wasn't opened by a promoter or a club person. It was opened by me. Yeah. And then uh, there's an infamous story out there about a uh, live, I guess, celebrity death match that almost took place there at uh, the cat house um, between Axel and David Bowie here to yeah. share a little bit about the heck. It's true. It's absolutely true. It happened on October 10th, I believe. And this is what the same time that Guns N' Roses were playing with the Rolling Stones and Guns N' Roses decided, look, you know, the day before we do the Stone show, we want to play the Cat House. 
The day before we play in front of 100,000 people, we want to play at a club that fits 500. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to do the It's So Easy video, which if you look on YouTube and you see the Guns N' Roses It's So Easy video, that was shot entirely at the Cat House. And that was live performances that were shot at the club. And uh, David Bowie was there and he was just a mess and did some very inappropriate things, which was a bummer for all of us because we were so excited to meet David Bowie being such big fans. And Axel was not happy with him that night at all. And Axel made it quite clear. And it was a very interesting thing that happened. And I was, you know, I've read it in so many books. And I'm like, really, is that what happened? Because I'm right there and it's happening right in front of me. You know, so I've in, in my show in Foot in the Gutter, there's all these fables and stories of things that have happened written by third person people. It's like, really, I'm going to tell you what happened because I was right there and it happened in my club and this did this and this and this and this. So all these stories about the eighties and nineties and the decadence and, and the show isn't just that era. I mean, there's some pretty amazing and tragic things that happened after that time that I talk about as well. But yeah, the Axel David Bowie thing happened at the cat house. Now, speaking of, uh, and I don't know if you'll be sharing any of this in, in, in your show, but speaking of like matches and, and uh, brawls and stuff like that. You worked a little bit at one time for uh, World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, I don't really talk about that in the show because there's really nothing to say. I wanted, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big wrestling fan. I still love wrestling. You know, I, I watched wrestling on TV. I went and saw WWE probably about a month ago. And um, I got to work for WCW, but they didn't like, I wanted to be like a heel manager and, and they didn't have me do that they just had me like hey we're here at spring break and don't forget to use tough actins and actin for your athletes <laughs> you know it's like but i did work one thing that i worked was hosting the search for miss nitro and we would go to these certain bars and look for miss nitro and then we got to chicago and the contestant that won the chicago contest was named stacy keebler and stacy was the girl that won that became very well known in wrestling and she was yeah. actually George Clooney's girlfriend for a, a short time and uh, was really nice was like really cool so for all that success that happened to her but she was discovered in one of our search for Miss Nitro contests and what would what uh kind of set that whole thing up that connection with you and WCW it's funny um Jason Hervey who you might remember being on the TV show The Wonder Years yeah. Had season tickets for the Kings hockey team right by Tammy and myself. So we became friends with Jason Hervey. And, and somehow I had mentioned that I like wrestling. And, and Jason was friends with Eric Bischoff, who was over in charge at WCW. And at one time, I don't know how it happened, but at one time in the early, early days, I got to be like a guest announcer with Jim Ross. And I guess they remembered that, brought me back. And it was kind of weird how the whole thing happened, but it, it was, I'm grateful it did. I just wish I could have done a lot more. Yeah, exactly. I'm a huge fan too, grew up on that stuff. So it was between like Saturday, early evenings was watching, you know, the uh, Superstation and then tuning yeah. in in the evenings to watch you on MTV and stuff. Yeah. So, But uh, you're also like big into uh, motorcycles and bikes and, and also uh, worked a little bit with NASCAR um, along your journey. A lot of NASCAR. I worked with. I worked in NASCAR for 19 years. I did. 
I worked for NASCAR.com. I worked for Speed TV. I worked for several racetracks. And I had a radio show, the syndicated radio show that was on once a week for 19 years and ended last week. <laughs> like last week was the last episode after doing 1,027 episodes. So, um, yeah, that, that was a, that was a, that was a pretty, a, a pretty great run I had with NASCAR. And now I still work with Fox Sports doing the American Flat Track Motorcycle Racing Series which was something that I wanted to do because I'm a fan. You know, I don't look at necessarily jobs, just be like, how much money am I going to make? I look at it like flat track racing is so badass. I love the work. And then I worked there. And if I work for them this year, it'd be my third year with American flat track. So I'm, I'm hoping I am. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it adds so much more when you're a fan, you can hear the passion in your voice when you're calling and announcing stuff that gets everybody else stoked, you know? I can't do anything that I'm not a fan of. It becomes too fake. You know, I love metal. I love racing. I love motorcycles. You know, all these jobs that I've had, all these, these times that I've had certain jobs, they're all things that you really, really love, you know, and the motorcycle thing, you know, I've been a biker forever and ridden very, a lot of, a lot more miles than anybody. And, yeah. um, and uh, so and doing anything with motorcycles is always fun too. Now you mentioned too, you know, you can't do anything that's fake and you like to be authentic and, and everything that, that you uh, get involved with. Um, I remember like when you were part of the decline of the Western civilization documentary, how like, uh, you know, you got kind of explained getting behind the cameras and being a part of that. And just like, we're open about battling with depression and, and things like that. Yeah, when I filmed the metal years, I was smashed. I was so wasted because I used to drink and do a lot of drugs. And I shot that thing. So when I look at that thing, you know, for a while when I looked at it, it was very uncomfortable for me to see because, uh, you know, I shot it in the afternoon and I'm all drunk. And I'm like, look at it. But, um, you know, now it's just it's part of my history and I'm, I'm not embarrassed about it at all. I'm, I'm proud of it. But yeah. that was the time that I had some real demons with alcohol and drugs. Uh, and I, I, and you know, I can totally relate. I, I just celebrated uh, 13 years of uh, oh, sobriety, cool. you know, and uh, you know, I mean, growing up, you're a fan of the music. Then you become, you start reading about the lifestyle and you want to be a part of that lifestyle and you're out with your friends like raging. And, you know, I've, probably never made it to, you know, a lot of the part, obviously a lot of the parties that you experienced and some of those extremes, but you know, I went, ran pretty hard early, my early days in the Navy too, you know, of course, and, uh, you know, just, uh, getting, getting sober. And then looking back, you know, I remember originally when I first got sober, looking back, it's just like, uh, you know, there's a lot of shame and guilt, but then when you get over it, it's like, it's part of your story. And exactly. I mean, who you are today, you know, one, the one thing that, 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 that I think is an important message in my show, because as much as it's like all raunch and roll and sleaze and debauchery, there are some, you know, maybe inspirational moments or some things that I think are very important. And, and one of the messages that I hope that people get out of my show is that, is that if you ever have a moment that was a good day in your life or sometime you met somebody that was really cool or something happened, you're in that exact position because of something negative that happened that put you like, for instance, there's been a lot of bad things that happened in my life, 
But if those bad things didn't happen, it wouldn't have me where I am today because exactly. you, know, you, you go on this path and then something steers you this way and it was just terrible. And then because of that, you go this way, this way, this way, but then maybe you end up somewhere good. I mean, the easiest example that I use the most is, you know, I was supposed to be the host of the television show Ink Master. And I was devastated that I didn't get that job because they hired me and they told me I had it. And they told me the days that I was going to tape. And then one day they told me, you didn't get the job. We're going to give it to Dave Navarro, which has happened more than once. <laughs> and um, I was like, ah, oh, man, I thought I was going to do this show. I was going to be back on TV. A couple of years later, I ended up marrying a, a girl that was a contestant on season one. Now, if I would have gotten that job on Ink Master, I mean, I, I wouldn't have married Leah. You know, so I'm looking like, thank God I didn't get that job because everything worked out for the best. So sometimes you're in a terrible situation. It doesn't make sense why you're in that situation, but you never know down the line, things might be very good. And that's the same way I look at drugs and alcohol. Like look, all of those, you know, crazy times and almost deadly times led me to where I am right now. And I'm in an Oh, okay. exactly. Yeah. I look back too, you know, and it's just like, I mean, you know, I uh, have a relationship today that I am grateful for with, with my two daughters, but also with a higher power that, you know, maybe if I didn't, you know, uh, at the moment when I was doing what I was doing, I was cut off from any kind of spirituality, you know, I was just living in the moment and just feeling good now and not caring about who I hurt. But as time's gone on, it's just like, look back, okay, I didn't see the story that you really had planned out for me, you know, and now here I am today looking back grateful. Now today, before I make any rash decisions, I take that time to kind of play it forward. Okay. Where could this go instead of running head first? Like we used to back in the day, you know? All right. I still run head first in every situation, but <laughs> like the juggernaut. Right. And then, so, you know, uh, speaking of, of the, this uh, tour that you're getting ready to embark on the one foot in the gutter tour uh, that you're getting ready to do next starting next week. Uh, you're going to be first date here in my backyard here in Cleveland, Ohio. I know. On, uh, December 7th. What uh, was there? Did you have a say so in planning this tour out and locations? And if so, what? Uh, I mean, start in Cleveland. I had a say so, but I let somebody else book the shows. They're like, do you want to take this on the road? I'm like, very much. He's like, okay, we have this date. In Cleveland. How do you feel about starting in Cleveland? I go, well, every time I've been in Cleveland, I had a good time. I love going to Milk Grilled Cheese. And there's all these really fun things that I've done in Cleveland. And there's good people in Cleveland. And they're like, okay, well, then from Cleveland, we go to Columbus. I'm like, sounds great. And then we had like a day off. And then we went, so, but now that day filled. So now I've got five shows in five days. Like, I've only done this once. I have no idea what it's going to be like to do two shows in a row, you know, the yeah. same. And I'm going to be honest with you, like, I'm leaving in a couple of days and like, as soon as I stop talking to you, I got to start writing this show and work more on this show because there's so much more that needs to be done that I haven't even done yet. Gotcha. And I mean, you said you've only done it once and that's, that was there in your backyard pretty much. So yeah. It wasn't jumping on a, it, it, you know, heading to the next town or anything like that. You got to go home. Yeah, we were, uh, I mean, my, my idea was I'm going to go out on the road and I'm going to be in a tour bus. It's going to be so much fun. And then I found out how much that costs. And it was like, okay, now we'll just rent a transit van. And now we're in a minivan. We're in a minivan with, it's loaded to the top of the roof with like merch that we're selling at the shows and stuff like that. And I don't know how we're going to make this thing work. And also, you know, we got to drive on uh, Friday, I think. Friday, 
I think we have the show in um, in Flint, Michigan, I believe. And we have to ride, drive, I still say ride. And we have to drive to Buffalo, New York, which means we have to go through Canada. And all this is like, there could be a lot of snow. Like we have no idea what to expect, but it's pretty much me walk on stage, go to sleep, wake up six in the morning. I'm in the van driving 300 miles to the next gig, which as I say that, it's just like, wow, I'm really doing it. Like it's like, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about the whole process. And I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. What so? What kind of? I mean, you said you had the one show at home. It it, it was you felt a success, and and that kind of inspired you to uh, let's take it out on the road and see how many people are are down with hearing this. Yeah, I mean, the first show was. I mean, there were like almost five hundred people there, and it was just it was like wow. Like, and and the thing is, it's like I really enjoyed it. I really had a good time while I was doing it. And that, I mean, that's why I want to do this more is because I want that feeling again. I want that feeling that I got when I was on stage telling these stories and, and hearing that people had such a good time at something that I take very personally. It's not like me hosting a show for somebody else. These are words that I write. This is words that I say on stage. So to hear that somebody had a really good time at my show is very flattering. And, uh, you know, I really enjoy doing it. Nice. Well, um, you know, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to catching you in Cleveland. You got so many stories that I'm sure you could have a different like set, I guess, each night, you know. Well, we'll see how this goes, but to say that maybe in 2024 I don't do a tour called One Fist in the Gold, who knows? I mean, what I'd like to do is I'd like to do these five shows and then sometime in like late March maybe do a whole lot more and then start writing the book of this and then write the book because I've been asked to write a book a million times and, and really didn't do it. And um, I think now is the time to do it. But as far as the two are like, like, this is just fun stuff. Like I, I want to keep on doing this. I want to go out on the road and I'd love to be doing this in every city, but I got to see how these five shows go. If these five shows go well, then it's like, okay, let's do this. But I have no idea how it's going to go. Well, I'm I'm definitely planning on making it to the Cleveland Good. show, man, to, to to see you in person and and hear some of the stories. But uh, and I know we were kind of you know short with time, so I, I want to get ready and wrap up uh, with you. But do you mind answering a couple questions I normally ask my guests that I have on? Not at all. So I know this one's going to be tough for a big music guy like yourself. But who are you, would you say your top three musical artists? Motorhead. maybe the clash and the third one is interchangeable because one day it could be guns and roses and then the next day it could be uh pantera and then it might be shooter jennings i mean it's it's i mean it's easier for me to say uh, uh, the rolling stones i love the rolling stones i mean i would have to say the rolling stones and motorhead are my two favorite bands it but it changes all the time i mean it, it changes yeah. all the time but Motorhead is always my number one favorite band. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, battling depression and, and some of the things that, uh, you know, you've gone through. Is there been a particular song through the years that's always been like a go-to song that you listen to that picks you up? 
Um, I really like this song by Danko Jones called Do You Want to Rock? That starts like, are you ready for the greatest feeling? Are you ready for the time of your life? I think about doing this daily. I mean, I really like that song. It's just a very upbeat song. Um, everything. I mean, I, it, it, you know, sometimes I get great inspiration from Lamb of God or Hate Breed. And sometimes I get great inspiration from listening to Paul McCartney and Wings. It's different all the time, but uh, there's a lot of music. I can't think of one song in particular. You know, sometimes I listen to records, songs from Appetite of Just Destruction. So yeah. it's, it's always different. Gotcha. And then uh, what class do you feel should be mandatory before graduating high school today? Social studies. If social studies is still what they do. Um, we don't know how to communicate. We, especially these days, we don't communicate. These days it's all about, you know, people being anonymous, writing negativity about other people, not realizing, you know, the effects of that. You know, if you go out there and you go out there and say nothing but negativity, some of that sticks on you. If you go out there and you do nice things, nice things come back to you. And I don't think in education, we spend near enough time talking about how to talk to each other, how to have relationships, how to be able to communicate, you know, there's so much stuff that's taught in school. You know, I remember in school being so frustrated because I never knew how to do division and I still don't, and it doesn't matter. But imagine if you had a class that just taught you some of the, I mean, of course, some of the basics in business would be nice, but I think we just need some sort of classes that tells people how to communicate with each other. Yeah, I agree. This is everything so divisive and behind the keyboard now. It's like people feel like it's so easy to just really, you know, and words can, words are like weapons, man, you know? Yeah, I mean, and and sometimes, you know, there's, there's, that's why social media is not good for people that are depressed because some idiot's going to say something negative. And if 10 people say something positive and that one person says somebody thing negative, you're going to gravitate towards that one person and think like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. So I, I, tr I really am at a point that I try to avoid any negativity and it's been working pretty good for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm there myself lately. And then who are three people who've inspired you or you can credit for making you the person you are today? I don't know. Um, my wife. I gotta say it. I'm sorry, everybody. I gotta say my wife. She is someone that, that reminds me constantly to be in the present and is very, I mean, I know that I, I know for a fact I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now if it wasn't for her support. And I know that sounds so cheesy just to say that, but she is the one person that really has been so supportive for everything I've done. I'd say her, I don't even know who else, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that I talk to, you know, all the time that are very helpful and very positive and offer advice. But most of the time I just do whatever I want to do. And then I make mistakes. Yeah. Gotcha. And then, um, any causes or organizations that you support and encourage others to check out? Never again. I have raised in the past, 10 years, I, Ricky Rackman, have raised a quarter of a million dollars for various charities. 
This past year, I raised $24,000 for the Victory Junction Camp. The year before that, I raised $28,000 for the Alzheimer's Association. The year before that, I raised $32,000 for the Stop Soldier Suicide. Um, I've always done charity motorcycle rides, and I'm not going to do them anymore. Uh, I don't get any, it, I, I don't do it to get press. I do it because it makes me feel good to be able to be of service, but they cost me too much money. I didn't understand that in the charity game, when somebody donates a hundred dollars or whatever, you can take that money to help pay for your expenses for every charity that I've ever raised money for. I've donated 100% of every penny donated and it ended up costing me so much money. So this year, next 2023, I'm not going to be doing any more fundraising because I've already raised so much money and it's cost me so much money. As far as causes that I'm, I mean, even though I raised money for different suicide organizations or for Alzheimer's or the Claire Wineland Foundation for kids with cystic fibrosis, what I'm personally involved in, which is not one that gets a lot of attention, is I'm extremely anti-captivity for orcas and dolphins. And uh, I, I hate the fact that, that there's orcas in tanks. And I know that in, the, in this climate that we're living right now, that seems like such a minor thing to be concerned with something like that. But that's something that's been very personal to me. I've gone to protests. You know, I've, I've, I've traveled to San Juan Island just to see orcas swim by, which they don't do anymore because they're not there anymore. You know, so that's something, the orcas is something that, I, that I'm very, very into. And, and I wish there was a big whale sanctuary, but that's something that I don't do fundraising for because I'm not going to raise as much money for that. And that's something that's so personal to me. So if I can go out and raise a whole bunch of money for kids with serious illnesses or any of the other things that I've raised money for, you know, I'd rather do that. But this is going to be the first year that I'm, and I say that now, I'll probably end up doing some sort of fundraising thing just because I do it because it makes me feel good. Yeah. Gotcha. <clears throat> and then, uh, Favorite toy as a child? I'm, I'm looking for it because it's here somewhere. Um, where'd it go? Oh, hold on one second. I'll show you. Because this is everybody's. Everybody, oh, don't fall. My favorite toy as a child and, and as an adult is, of course, you ready? What do you think it's going to be? That. That is the greatest toy as a child. Yes. That is of the number one. Is. Of course it is. Yeah, that is the number one that I get when I ask that question on here. And you actually have it there. Visible oh, yes, I in do. In the box. Yes, That's I awesome. do. That was, yes. Is that the one with the, the zip string? And then No, they didn't know. Evil, that, those were SST. The, the things that I have knowledge on are ridiculous. The things that had the zip strings were called SSTs and they had a big black wheel in it and there were different cars and there were some that were smash up derbies and you'd go and you'd set it down. But the Evo Knievel worked like this. The Evo Knievel, you would put your Evo Knievel on this yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And you'd put it on it. With and the wheel. You would wind it up and go and then Evo Knievel would jump and he'd do flips. And then he'd have horrible crashes, just like the real Evil Knievel. And uh, it was just great. I also have an Evil Knievel lunchbox, and I have an Evil Knievel thermos, and Evil Knievel Funko, and Evil Knievel's autograph. And uh, so, yeah, it was definitely Evil Knievel stuff. Out of all the interviews I've done, when I asked that question, that's the, probably been the number one. I actually had Starboy Scott on one time, and uh, go figure, you know, of the Starboys, he, uh, 
Evil Knievel was his, uh, you know, favorite toy as a child. So, of course. So, I mean, what else? I mean, there were other toys that people don't remember, but Evil Knievel was the one because it was such an amazing toy and it actually worked. You know, the other toy that I really liked as a kid was a toy called the Verdi Bird. And the Verdi Bird was a little helicopter that was on this cable. And you'd have this little thing and you would fly around a circle in your house. You could, you could hover down and pick up a little, little astronaut or you could just fly around. And that toy would still be a good toy. Um, so I think the, I think I go look for one right now on eBay. But the Verdi Bird was a good toy. And of course, Evil Knievel and anything as far as, you know, with race cars or stuff like that is what I liked. And I don't call skateboards toys. So that's why I didn't say a skateboard. Now, um, we talked a little bit about your time working for uh, WCW and you being a wrestling fan. Who was your all-time favorite wrestler? I really liked Ricky Steamboat when I was a kid. Um, I think Macho Man's hilarious. Uh, you know, I, as far as today, I'm a, I'm a big Dolph Ziggler fan, and he's a friend. So I like Dolph, and I like Frank Kazarian. Another Cleveland guy. Huh? He is a Cleveland guy, actually. Yep. I like, and he, and if you ever go to his Instagram, he's wearing cat house shirts all the time. So that's pretty badass. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the mic skills of the rock and stone cold. You know, there's, there's very few people that were as good as him, as them. And uh, there's a lot of wrestling that I like, you know, these days in AEW, you know, I love to hate MJF, you know, because he's, <laughs> yep. he is just so good with mic skills. And the other thing that I like about wrestling is I like that there's wrestlers that I really, really think suck, but sometimes they change and I like them. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Usos and, um, and uh, there's certain wrestlers that I just, I didn't like and now like, and there's some wrestlers that I think are useless that I don't think need to be in wrestling. But um, yeah, I think, I think those would be my favorite. You know, I got to work with Ric Flair, you know, Ric, yeah. Flair, is just, Ric Flair is just like, you know, he's the man. Um, I think Kevin Nash has always been cool, stuff like that. And, you know, I like, I like, I like a lot of the luchador. I mean, I have two cats. One cat is named Santo and the other cat is named Lucha. So um, I love, I, I love that kind of stuff. I love all, all that rock wrestling, race, racing, all that riding. All yeah. That. Yeah. It is. Like I said earlier too, it's like, you know, well, I, as a kid, I was like saying my prayers, taking my vitamins. I was a Hulkamaniac. And then oh. I started hitting puberty and stuff and hitting the Saturday evenings. And there's Ric Flair. And he was just the man. Ooh. He was just who I wanted to be, you know, with the ladies and everything else, you know. Yeah. And then, like I said, stay up and then tune in to Headbangers Ball and learn some learn about some metal from And him. you still turned out OK. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Yeah. I'm raising two human beings of my my own now so beautiful and then uh any message that you have for our military members currently serving overseas yes um first of all thank you so much and i know everybody says thank you so much and when i know that what the rate is of suicide for people in the military talk to somebody if you're feeling depressed talk to somebody because just so you know if you're ever out there and you're alone the people really do care. I care. There's a lot of people that really care. And for any of the military that are overseas right now, you're badass. You are such heroes. You men and women are out there, you know, fighting the fight and protecting us and giving us 
rights and and despite who you who you vote for and even though the, all the turmoil that we have in this country you know what america's all right and i've 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 ridden a motorcycle in every single state in america with the exception of alaska and i like this country and i know that it's because of those people over there that are doing their best to keep us safe and it's it's really appreciated Awesome, man. Awesome, Ricky. So for any of the uh, listeners out there or viewers that, uh, you know, want to, you know, follow along with what's going on with you and with uh, know more about this tour and how they can, uh, you know, attend when it comes to their area, where would you send them? Well, I'm on all the social media, even TikTok. I'm now on TikTok, believe it or not. And I can't even dance. I'm on TikTok. Everything's under Ricky Rackman, which is R-I-K-I-R-A-C-H-T-M-A-N. But if you want to go to my show, One Foot in the Gutter, the best bet is to just go get tickets. And if you go to cathousehollywood.com, you just find your city and you click on it and it'll take you right to the link. So you go to cathousehollywood.com and that's the best way. And I really want people to buy tickets in advance because they're cheaper. And I want I want to have a sold out show. I, haven't had, I don't have a sold out show yet. I'd really like to have a sold out show because I think that'd be really, really cool to say I sold out. Well, hopefully we could do that for you this week in Cleveland, at least. I hope so. I'll do what I can to keep getting the word out there for you. And I definitely plan on being there myself. Good, good, good. Yeah, we're going to have a great time. I'm excited. Well, Ricky, I really appreciate the time and having you on and getting to talk a little bit. There's so many other stories I wanted to hit you up on, but I don't want to ruin you know, go to the show, there. go to the show, we'll hear about it there. But uh, before I let you go, would you mind doing one last favor for me? What is that? Just uh, cut a promo ID for the show. Just introduce yourself and you're listening to today's boondoggle. You got it. Hey, everybody. I am Ricky Rackman and you, yes, you are listening to today's boondoggle. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ricky. I really appreciate the time and I look forward to, to meeting you in person uh, th- this week uh, at in Cleveland, December 7th, I believe, right? Yes, December yeah, 7th, right in Cleveland, yes. Yep, at the Winchester. All right, yes. so buy tickets, get out camera. there. We'll see you there. Okay, thanks, buddy.
Brought to you by Today's Boondoggle. Buy nobody cake. Well, yeah, it was a birthday spot today. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't call. I didn't buy him uh, on my birthday. Right. Not, makes me remember, sad. Remember that time with Savage at that that strip bar, where the girl comes out oh, and she puts her boobs, put kisses her boobs, a little bit. Then she gets yeah, back up and she starts doing the thing with the brass pole <laughs> no, or, rail right. or whatever. Yep. Then she sticks one leg here and one leg there. And Savage buries his face in her crotch. Next thing you know, <laughs> next thing you know, she jumps back and she's got those those stiletto high heels. And I swear to God, they look like those anti-aircraft guns of World War II going like this, stabbing them in the chest. You know? <laughs> that's why pirates wear a badge on their And uh, that's why pirates wear. I remember, man. All of a sudden, we all got up and everybody had a beer bottle because we thought we were going to have to fight our oh, way man. out of that. Yeah, place. I thought we were goners. <laughs> I pushed my chair. I think my my chair was on wheels. I grabbed two beers, pushed my, my chair right up against the wall, getting ready to whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> that was pretty loud. So we we get, the, the next day, we're at the um, with a Navy hat on, and it was Savage. Savage has his shirt up, and you can see It was after like, he was long gone. Oh, yeah. 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 We were in some, that was Puerto Rico. Was that the Fox's Den or somewhere? It was, yeah, somewhere down. And somewhere we're, we're there. Oh, that's right. You had the Dixie Cup. And the girl's dancing around, and she comes out. Oh, you know where it was? And she comes out wearing a Navy hat. That was at Mickey Finn. Well, she's dancing with this, and she comes over to us, and takes the hat off. Rubbing it all over, and it says Savage on, on the, the inside. It <laughs> had his name on it. And thank you for listening to another story time from the VFW Hall. Brought to you by Today's Boondogger. listening once again to today's boondoggle radio show please be sure to check out our website domaincle.com or today's boondoggle.com for more shows and check out our archives follow us on social media at today's boondoggle on facebook instagram youtube and twitter for more information about this podcast and please support us on www.anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via today's boondoggle at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening.
Thank you for tuning into this week's Today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's Boondoggle.